podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Dad Pod 3 is back. The Bosco's boys are back. It's going to be another split show because all the craziness in the world, we can't get all the dads back together for an episode like the first time, but I'm, I'm committing right now. Dad Pod 4 will happen at Happy Bassett and we'll get the entire crew back together. And I don't know if you can bet on that, but if you can, the place to do it is betonline.ag. The sports world is on its way back. You have golf and NASCAR going every weekend. My favorite team, Chelsea FC, they're starting their European season back up, you know, two hours after we record this. The NFL, hopefully, is going to come back. The NBA, probably going to come back. UFC is already back. MLS is coming back in July. If you want to gamble, go over to betonline.ag. They also have simulated events. So if you are really a gambling person, you can gamble on a Madden simulation. A few weeks ago, they had the 85 Bears versus Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs from this past year. Guess what? The Chiefs beat the crap out of those Bears. If you would have gambled on the Chiefs, you would have been a big winner over at betonline.ag. Your online waging, wagering experts. All right, Dad Pod 3. Dad, I think the last time I think we established you were on was this most recent Mississippi State review. A big non-con win to really jumpstart the Chris Kleiman era. How have you been since that episode? I've been great. It has been an unprecedented time, though, I'll tell you that. Uh, In lockdown quarantine mode, working from home. uh, Several weeks when mom was home, too. So I was home all the time. She was home all the time. Uh, I established a bunker office in the basement, uh, got the work, got the job done. Uh, but I would say the, the dogs and the cat were nervous every day. <laughs> I bet. I think, I think once they got used to it, they probably liked having you guys around a lot more. And we, and folks, we heard the clamoring. Uh, everyone missed mom pod this year before we pass it over to Malcolm and Grant, uh, my mom, Cindy, she will officially enter in the realm of recurring guests. We're going to get her in here a little bit later. Uh, so don't you guys worry, Boneheads. We didn't forget the moms. Cindy will be joining us here shortly. So we are going to just get into it. Uh, the dad pod has taken two pretty distinct, you know, uh, views. The first one was a lot of retrospective a little bit of prediction. Last year was talking a lot about the future of K-State sports. I'm hoping to meld the two together this year. But the first one I want to ask you is what was, you know, your thoughts on the first year of the Coach Kleiman, you know, reign at K-State? Um, I was pleased with year one, and I, I was surprised of how well it went. What was your take on that first year? Well, from a 30,000-foot level, you know, just kind of the global overall, I would say that expectations were exceeded. When you think in terms of uh, an eight-win season, uh, the road win at Mississippi State, 
you know, an SEC road win, that's, that was huge. I don't think any of us predicted that. Um, and then we qualified, you know, for a, for a bowl win, or a bowl game, I should say. Could have uh, been a win. Yeah. But, you know, when I, when I look back at the season, you really felt there were uh, a few things left on the table, you know, that, uh, that could have been. Uh, there was a couple of disappointing home losses, especially that West Virginia mm-hmm. loss. Um, I, I think Oklahoma State, when you look back at their season, we certainly could have uh, you know, gone on the road and maybe picked them off on the road as well. And then just ending the season with that bowl loss was, was really kind of left a bitter taste in my mouth. So I felt like that was kind of a, a disappointing end to the season. But overall... <laughs> You know, you about have to give it a, a B plus anyway when you look at, at the season if you're going to grade it. Yeah, and I've had conversations with a lot of folks uh, in this offseason since the season ends, and I agree with you. When you look at things in the vacuum, eight wins, you, you're super excited. But for me, also, that Texas game really bothers oh. me. You get up 17, yeah. um, and then towards the end, they just had athletes that made plays. Um, we couldn't. They got the ball, got the field goal. Um, just fractions away from a very special season. All of that being said, you get a very rare top 10 victory versus Oklahoma at home. If you really look at things, and I was thinking about this on my drive up to Topeka yesterday. If you go off of final AP votes, that might be the best win in K-State football history. If you really think about it, because how many times do you have a, after the season is done, top five win? Because that's where Oklahoma ended, I think, number five in the nation. Right, right. You, you cannot deny that. And uh, if you look at uh, Oklahoma's season, I mean, that loss against K-State was, was really huge. I mean, yeah, I mean, they still get into the playoff, but then all of a sudden they have to be a four seed. They have to go up against LSU instead of uh, I think folks will not remember it that way because there, there are other big games, especially, you know, you think back to 2012, people will talk about Texas and Oklahoma and that one and 98 Nebraska or 2000 Nebraska, 97 Colorado, all these games because it, the season meant more. You achieved more. Right. But. If you're just going off of eight people, which, you know, it's an imperfect science, that's mm-hmm. the best win in K-State football history. Yeah, so I, I would agree. Boneheads, tweet at me. Am, am I putting too much stock in the AP poll, trying to be too uh, analytical about it? Am I an idiot? I don't think so. I mean, I'll argue with you guys on Twitter. So, you know, tweet at me if you think I'm giving too much value to that win over Oklahoma. Um, so you've seen a lot more football coaches than me. I've seen... Bill Snyder twice, I've seen Ron Prince, and I've seen Coach Kleiman. What do you think your opinion is with Coach Kleiman and how it might differ from fans like me? Because, I, again, another thing I was thinking about when I was driving up, Ron Prince did go to a bowl game his first year at K-State. You know, I've seen great football for the most part my entire time. I, I probably, younger fans, don't understand the brevity and how – crazy it is to see a year one coach get eight wins you've seen a lot of k-state football and a lot more losses i think we've probably seen almost about the same amount of wins yeah <laughs> you know and and i won't say how many years older than me you are but i mean mm-hmm. you've probably only seen a handful more k-state football wins than i have so 
Uh, is it maybe not being talked about while, yes, you know, there's some frustration, but eight wins in a first year at K-State football historically, is that maybe not getting enough play? I, I think maybe it isn't getting enough play. Um, and when you look at K-State football, I mean, K-State football as you know it, and really as I've enjoyed it uh, as a K-State fan, started in 1989. So if you look at the 1980s and the 70s, when my formative years, when I first became a K-Stater, uh, we didn't have very many winning seasons, and there were seasons where there weren't very many wins. Uh, you know, there was a couple years with Jim Dickey as, as coach, right towards the end of my uh, college career, um, that were, was pretty decent. I mean, it was, it was really kind of fun and not embarrassing to go see a K-State football game. So uh, those were really, really dark days. And I know we've, we've relived those on the pod in, in the past. But um, I think that first year under Kleiman, while most of those players were really not his, it was an accomplishment, just a huge accomplishment, because you know, that team didn't do very well under Bill Snyder's last year. That was a, that was a very disappointing season and followed up with uh, exceeding the expectations uh, Kleiman's first year. I, I, I think it isn't getting the play it deserves in K-State history. Well, history could look back on it and, and say, man, that was the, really the beginning of a uh, fantastic era of K-State football. We'll see. Yep, and that and I I went out of order, but I think it works better. The question I was gonna ask before that one was, what sort of ceiling do you think Chris Kleiman might have at K State? Because, you know, if you if you want to be as optimistic as possible, you've seen Chris Kleiman as a guy who took over from a legend at North Dakota State, kept the train going, winning national championships, and recruiting at a high level for FCS. You already look at how he's recruiting better than Bill Snyder did, winning better with Bill Snyder's players than Bill Snyder did. But then that brings me to my crux. I think his ceiling might not be what Bill Snyder was able to do. I mean, Bill got us right on the cusp of a national championship game a couple times. He won two Big 12 titles. He got to uh, two more title games back in the title game era. Uh, I, I just don't know if... Even me trying to be more optimistic in life, if I can get quite there, where are you when it comes to ceiling? Well, I'm a little more optimistic on a, on a higher ceiling now than I was a year ago, I think. Um, when you look at some of our losses that, that we had last season that could have been wins, I mean, my goodness, if we could have had uh, even just two more Big 12 victories, let alone three, I mean... What kind of season would that have been? Um, it, may, it makes you feel like that maybe climbing every three or four years could bring all the pieces together to maybe contend for a Big 12 title every, every now and then. Kind of like what Bill did. Uh, but you said in your comments that you can already see he's recruiting better. Let's see. I, I think it's a little too early to say his recruiting is at that much of a level higher than what Bill Snyder is. I, I think it is higher. I, I like the kind of athletes that he's bringing in. They seem to be different than the type of athletes that Bill brought in. Uh, Bill got a lot out of what he recruited. 
And if the athletes are better and they're Big 12 caliber athletes that he is bringing in, and if Kleiman can get the most out of those uh, recruits, then I think his ceiling is, is high. And that's fair to say about the recruiting better. I'm going, you know, purely off of, uh, off of recruiting rankings and uh, what we've seen. I mean, one of his diamond in the rough pickups was Joshua Youngblood, and he was freshman All-American. He was an All-American when it came to returning. Then you just look at the offer sheets that some of these guys that are coming in are getting. So that's what I'm basing it off of. But I agree with you. If if they can't, you know, develop the guys, because no matter how much uh, I want to champion the better recruiting, these aren't guys that are going to be able to come in and be day one, uh, you know, NFL type prospects. He still has to play the development game, at least until hopefully, you know, the hope is multiple eight, nine, 10 win seasons. And then you can start getting more of those four star players like Jake Rubley, who's going to be coming in with the 2021 class. Um, but I agree with you. You still have to develop them. Um, speaking on the recruiting front, we're not going to dive too deep into it. Three commitments last week. Everyone go over to KSO. Derek Young has done an amazing job covering those commitments. You get uh, Weathers out of um, Missouri, who's one of those prototypical K-State athlete pickups. He can run like the wind. He plays predominantly offense, but he's being projected as either a nickel or linebacker. You got Braden Wood, who K-State beat out Louisville, Washington State, a lot of Power 5 offers for. Then Todd Weiner's kid, Austin Weiner, he has grown five inches over the last two years. He's already up around 260. By the time he comes into K-State, he's going to come in around 6'7", 6'8", 270. And I think that we might see, you know, a second All-American from the Weiner family. So it will be interesting to see. But, you know, th- that was fair to call me out on because we haven't we haven't seen his guys quite yet. Yeah, but those those three examples right there, are they, they do make you anxious to see how they're going to pan out. And I'm, I'm anxious to see what uh, Kleiman and his staff can do with those guys. Yep. And then this is the last football-centric question. Um You've, I think, predicted both years we've done dad pod, six and six. Uh, the first year, you came up a little short. Last year, you know, we, we already talked about it. Eight wins, uh, definitely nine, maybe even ten wins were on the table. So if we get a football season, which you and I had a long conversation last night, who knows what's going to happen. But until, until we find out that it's not going to happen, we're going to work under the assumption we get the full 12-game schedule and we'll work under the assumption there's fans in the stands if that affects your prediction at all. So this is going to be the first prediction for this year officially put out there. And again, you're at a disadvantage. Father's Day's in June. Uh, they, they only got two voluntary workouts in. But that being said, I, I need to get you on the record for the year. What are you predicting record-wise? Well, I'll upgrade that prediction, and I'll come off my 6-6, six and six, and I'm going to go 7-5. and five. I'm going to really uh, <laughs> stick my neck out there. Uh, it would be a Vegas over. Yeah, well, uh, I, I feel pretty good about that, and I, I've got my reasons why, but uh, kind of a, uh, a sub-COVID uh, pick, I'm going to say it's going to be 5-2. Uh, and two. All right, so if, if it's so if, if if we have a seven game schedule, we're going five and two. Five and two, I'll say five and two. I, I like it. I I do think, and I had this conversation with uh, Derek Young off the record, of course, um, which 
I shouldn't have said his name if I'm saying it was off the record, but Derek Young and I, we had a conversation. Man, for someone who isn't even a K-Stater by blood, just someone who's following, he's excited because of how the schedule lines up. I mean, you got to think that you're going to beat Vanderbilt. Although, if I've learned one thing in my life, it's don't count that as a win because, man, what a disappointment that was. I go down to, you know, Nashville with, you know, 20,000 K-State fans and then – one of the most maddening games in Snyder 2.0. Uh, but you, you have those three games. You think you should win them. Do you get revenge on West Virginia in that first Big 12 game? You have to go on the road. But if you get that, all of a sudden there's four. And, you know, who knows what happens after that. So I think it could be a real fun season. If you get the momentum going, who knows what the record might end up being. Well, I agree. And and one of the reasons I'm a little more optimistic I mean, we lost basically the whole offensive line. Well, and a lot on the defensive line, too. Right. Lots of trenches. Um, But you have a senior quarterback coming back that is second year in the system. Uh, I'm pro Skyler. If he can stay healthy, I think he's going to make the difference, uh, uh, especially in Big 12 play, I think. Um, And, you know, the offensive line, if you give it an overall grade for a group last year, I don't think they really performed all that great. They underperformed uh, to my – and I probably had too high of expectations. But Well, why wouldn't you? Maybe a C? I mean, when you look at the what I thought was really uh, experienced talent on that offensive line, I just don't think they matched what, what Kleiman's uh, offensive philosophy uh, ended up being. I don't think they matched what – he wanted them to do very well. So, yes, we're losing that group, but uh, it will be an inexperienced group that comes in on offensive line, but but I think it will be a group that will have the skill set and the athleticism uh, to do what he wants to do. Yeah, and, you know, Josh Rivas is returning. There were some games he played more than Evan Curl. And while pro football focus, I, I acknowledge uh, some of the flaws in their system. But they do have a grading system for offensive linemen, and he's one of the top returning interior linemen in the nation. So you do have one guy who has some experience, Noah Johnson. A lot of talk about how he in the offseason has really taken up a leadership role. And again, out on the tackles, whoever it ends up being, you have young athletic guys. So I agree with you. I think that there's a very real chance that the offensive line, even without that you know, experience might be just as good, maybe even a smidge better next year. But we'll have to we'll have to see. Um, something that was not very good, and we had you know, I think as a fan base, maybe too high of expectations coming in, or maybe the team just collapsed. But it was basketball wise, um, yeah, it was it was not good. It was you know, polar opposite of Chris Kleiman, who overachieved. Bruce Weber and his team underachieved. Um, what was what was that season like? What was the most disappointing part of that season for you? Well, on the uh, on the heels of winning a Big Twelve championship uh, and what we had coming back, I mean, I had I had some pretty high expectations. Uh, you know, after losing uh, Cam and and Dean and Barry, you knew there was going to be a drop off on leadership and floor production. I mean, <laughs> you, you knew that. But uh, uh, and I, I'm not even really going to call anybody out. But uh, uh, we really didn't have the leadership, and and there was spotty production at best. Uh, the volume of losses that we had, finishing at the bottom of the conference, uh, it was 
it was really a downer as a K-State basketball fan. And uh, I, th I think specifically the game that you and I attended at the oh, Sprint Center, uh, great floor seats against Mississippi State. Uh, St. Louis. Oh. Yeah, Mississippi State was up in, uh, or in New Jersey, and they pissed that game away. Like, oh, that's too. true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Saint, yeah, St. Louis. That's right. Okay. Which, and that was that was a common occurrence throughout that non-con season, and then even early in Big 12 play. You have the game in your hands, and then you just don't have anyone who can finish the game off. Yeah. Thank goodness for uh, Levi in that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if it wasn't for Levi Stockard, who I – man, where did – did he transfer to Murray State? Where did he end up landing? I can't remember, but yeah, yeah Levi went off uh, in that game, and if it wasn't for him, it would have been a blowout. But yeah. well, that game pretty well encapsulated the whole season. Let's let's put it that way. Yeah, it was it was not uh, it was not pretty. So I guess the next question is, and this has been basically, you know, Sean Neal Williams transfers away in season, and then you know, basically the second the season ended. Uh, Thanks to COVID, because I'm telling you this right now, we were going to end up winning the Big 12 tournament. Um, settle down over there, Mom. You'll get your time. Uh, we were going to win the Big 12 tournament. We were what, going. What do you what, what do you mean we're going to? We are technically we are the Big 12 uh, tournament champions. Right. And Gene Taylor better put that banner up, or he's not welcome on my show anymore. Um, I'm just kidding, Gene. If you're listening, I hope you're having a pleasant had a pleasant Father's Day. And uh, yeah, tell Kenny I say hi. Um, so basically after the season ended, you just saw transfer after transfer after transfer. Some of them expected, some of them a little surprising. Are you worried with the amount of roster turnover or are you just kind of saying, Hey, with a season like that, you might as well turn it over. Where do you land on that spectrum? Well, I'm very worried that we could end up from a, uh, win, uh, total, um, perspective that we could have another really tough season. Uh, it depends. I mean, will the sophomores step up in leadership? Uh, will uh, the freshman class coming in, will they be able to have uh, production? Um, so I think based upon that, I'm a little bit worried, though I think we are going to be very, very talented. We've got some uh, a really good class coming in. Uh, I, I really like that sophomore class as well, too. I think they will step up. Uh, so we'll see. But, yes, I am, I am very worried. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Again, uh, if we get the season, of course, everything has to have that caveat. And I'm, I'm more bearish about basketball than football happening. I think, I think my confidence level with basketball happening is below 50%. So... For all the basketball fans out there, I'd be worried. But, you know, I've been wrong at every turn about everything COVID. So maybe it's good I'm not feeling optimistic about basketball. But you have these young guys, and they were – I think they're just all now on campus. So they – maybe they have to pause their voluntary workout type stuff as well. But, uh, you know, they didn't get the full off season. They didn't get to go on their European trip. I think a lot of things are stacked up against it which I, I'm chumming the water for the Bruce Weber haters to come out and say that I'm already laying down excuses. But I, I just, I want to, I want to see, I want Bruce to be able to see through this current recruiting class all the way four years. Um, he's shown that when he gets the good amount of talent that we're hoping this class is, that he can win big 12 titles with them. So I'm, I'm hoping he gets that one more, but I agree with you. This, this final season might be, 
ugly. So I guess the final question before we'll let Chuckles McGee over here in. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you think Bruce can get this team back to the tournament in 2021? And I, I kind of laid out my point. Uh, even if he doesn't, I think he should be able to come back. But where do you stand? Should he get to coach the team the following year if he can't get back to the NCAA tournament this year? Well, first off, I think I think uh, the percentage chance of getting postseason, and I would put NIT or NCAA, I think is I'd put it at about twenty twenty five percent. I don't think you're wrong, sadly. Well, and but I don't think that becomes the mark that Bruce has to hit to keep his job either. Uh, Some people think so. I mean, I, I uh, you know, having gone to the Elite Eight. And then a Big 12 championship. Yeah, you had the off uh, the off season last year. Um, I don't think that uh, the only thing that could happen next year uh, that would cause Bruce not to be able to come back is well, number one, if he wants to retire. Number two, if he just totally loses the team, maybe even worse than last year, and has massive turnover with uh, his recruiting classes or. Uh, or, or, you know, like the freshmen coming in and the sophomores that we have that really are the future. Because if you would have massive turnover there, you're, you're putting the, the, the rebuild off another couple years. Well, yeah, because it basically erases the rebuilding process. And right. I, I understand some people say at K-State you should never rebuild. And I think there is some validity to it. We saw Frank Martin and Bob Huggins, they had... Six seasons combined, uh, two NITs, four NCAA tournaments. And Bruce, when he doesn't make the tournament, he doesn't make postseason play. I understand how frustrating that is. But at the end of the day, and I had this conversation with people on message boards and on Twitter, when you look at the last, basically from the 80s to present, if you look at the best years of K-State basketball, Bruce Weber coach teams have two of the top five seasons. Because Jack Hartman got one conference title in the 80s. No one else has done it. Bruce has two of them. Uh, actually, you would have three of them because then the Elite Eight, you know, Jack got one, Lon got one, Frank got one, Bruce got one. So Bruce has three of the top seven seasons since the 80s. I understand, and again, this is coming from some snot-nosed millennial who, again, I, I wasn't able to see the great basketball of the 70s. Uh, where you're winning the Big Eight almost every year, and it's, hey, yeah, you're making a run in the tournament almost every year. Um, but in my lifetime, Bruce Weber is the ceiling of what K-State basketball is. Sadly, he's also proven to be the floor this year, which makes Bruce the enigma even crazier because he had years worse than Asbury, you know, the guy that we don't name, and Jim Waldridge. Like, it, it's wild. He has had the single worst season in three of the best seasons I've seen in my lifetime. It just makes the Bruce Weber enigma that much, that crazier. It's maddening. (laughs) It is maddening. Um, But, you know, it is what it is. But I think it is time. uh, Before we send it over to Grant and Mal, it is time for Cinny to make her triumphant return. Um, I don't have a recurring guest koozie for you, but I'm pretty sure Dad has two in his koozie cabinet. But you now will officially always go in the realm of being a recurring guest. So, Mom, welcome back to the show. How does it feel to be a recurring guest? I'm, I'm real happy that we finally got on. We missed Mother's Day, so 
Thanks for having me, honey. Oh yeah, no, I, I'm glad to have you on, and uh, we're gonna end it. We're, we're we're gonna just you know ask some fun questions because something some feedback that we've always gotten when we do these is everyone enjoys hearing the perspective of the parents with some of these questions because uh, on this podcast, I think most of these questions we've had asked to us in some form or fashion a handful of times. So it's fun to get some of these sports questions to you guys to hear your perspective. So the first one, and we'll we'll start with mom. So outside of the Super Bowl, because you two are both big Chiefs fans, if people on the pod don't know, you guys met at a Chiefs game, uh, all sorts of fun stuff revolving around the Chiefs. So if you exclude the Super Bowl, what was your favorite sporting event or what was the best game of this sports calendar? Did I have to be in attendance? No, 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 no. no. Okay. Just overall, what when you think back, like, hey, yeah, Super Bowl, obviously great. What was, and I'll even give you a multiple one or two games that you think back to and be like, man, that was a, that was just so great. I'm glad I watched that game. Well, first of all, would have to be the AFC Championship game that I watched in the living room alone while you guys were all in Kansas City, but it was too cold for mom to go. So I did really enjoy that. The one in person would have to be uh, the Junction City JV basketball team with Coach Allen leading the way uh, against uh, my alma, alma mater, Topeka High, down in the dungeon in, uh, at Topeka High. So shout out to the Blue Jays, the JV team that Allen coached to a victory in the dungeon. Yeah, and uh, friend of the pod, multi-recurring guest Jimmy it was on the bench of that game too. So we're a pro JCJ's uh, high school athletic podcast on here. So that's a, that's a good one. That had to be fun to see your son coaching versus your alma mater and probably, not probably, the you know most historic gym in Topeka. Oh, yes, the dungeon. Let's all go to the dungeon. All right, Dad, outside of the Super Bowl, it probably is easy one uh, because, I, you know, that AFC championship was great. We were there. Would that be your favorite game of the season outside of the Super Bowl? Well, it has to be uh, being there in person uh, with uh, you and Alan and Andrea. Uh, it was a very special moment, and uh, the first AFC championship victory in Arrowhead Stadium and we were there the year before Whew. in a crushing defeat. And uh, that was that was a, a crushing blow uh, to, to witness in person in sub-zero wind chill factors as well. But, but that was definitely in the last year. Uh, however, you and I were at the Oklahoma game. And uh, when you look at that game... Uh, that's probably a top five all-timer at least. Oh, yeah. I, that, I, I agree with you. Those are the top two uh, for me. And what's wild about that game, again, looking back on it, it almost followed the uh, bad trend of blowing games late because you jump out to that massive lead in the second half, and then it comes down to that onside kick, and – I, I said from the second, I think he touched it. And then it went to review, and then I was starting to I was starting to worry. I think mom was trying to text us as we were trying to watch no. the Jumbotron. We have like seven texts from mom. 
talking about what they're saying on TV, and then they finally said illegal touch. And I, I had a sigh of relief because I think Oklahoma might have still had one timeout and the way they were moving the ball. Ooh. But, yeah, that, that, those were two, two good ones. It, it was a good year for for football, at least. I mean, basketball, at least for us two, sucked. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't remember from Mom Pod 1, um, Mom, Cindy here, was the Baby J mascot when she attended KU. So uh, that's where Alan, who's made his multiple appearances on the show, gets his KU stuff from. So uh, she probably enjoyed basketball a little bit more than we did. But, hey, you know what? They're going to have to vacate a bunch of victories, and KU probably won't get to play another game this century. So death penalty's coming. They're going to they're gonna string Bill Self up from his toes. Oh, please. Right next to the James Naismith uh, statue outside Allen Fieldhouse. So. <laughs> had, to, had to poke you. So here, here's one, and this is very specific to this era we're living in. How much do you guys miss live sports during this, you know, sports blackout? Is it more or less, or like you guys are sports fans. You probably knew once everything started getting canceled, it was going to suck hard, but... Is it, you know, more or less or, you know, about what you expected when all the sports were getting canceled? It's much, it's much more difficult. We've watched the Super Bowl, I don't know how many times. <laughs> the run-up to the Super Bowl, I don't know how many times. But, yeah, we, we miss it. Yes, I, I do miss it. Uh, this is the time of year when live sports are not as big a deal for me. I mean, baseball's okay. I'll watch a little bit of baseball. Uh, but the way re- sporting started, well, though. I was just going to say, uh, that that was the biggest disappointment in live sports because they, they started so well, and it looked like the uh, the you know their season had a lot of promise just because it looked to me like they, they were going to contend all the way, and they were really fun <coughs> to watch those first couple games. Uh, but... Uh, how lucky were we that we... The breakout started like three months earlier. Yeah, and if we would have had that taken away from us, but, you know, that and the fact that we won the, the Big 12 tournament, you know, uh, going into this era, era of COVID. We, as a Chiefs and a K-State fan, I actually... Trophies. Yeah. I take exception to that. I don't believe you guys won the Big 12. Who, who uh, won the last game in the Big 12 tournament? It, answer it, the question. Who, who won? K-State. Okay, all right, no, 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 no buts. No buts. Who is the big, who wins the Big 12 tournament? The team who wins the last game. Big 12 tournament champion. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> Banner time. Yeah, okay, I'll take your team versus my team, you know, going, you know, yeah, and you, in the dungeon to see who, who really wins. And, and you guys had to, <laughs> you guys had to go to the buzzer versus K-State, and you had to fight us to beat us the last time. I, I tell you what, if I were a KU fan, this would not be the year I'd be trying to say that uh, you, you guys would die. This, this was, was the worst team in K-State basketball history by some accounts. And you guys had to fist fight us, use chairs, <laughs> and you basically had to pay off the refs inside Bramlage. And you still barely got out with the win. So I wouldn't be talking such a big game there, Nancy. <laughs> well, I tell you, it should have been our year. It was our year. Okay, we're going to move on. It was our year. We're going to move on. Okay, yeah. You would have had to take the banner down anyways. <laughs> so here's one that is, we've, we've been asked a million times on this show. I think Dad has been asked this one, but maybe it's changed. But what is your all-time favorite sporting event that you have attended 
We'll we'll go to dad first. We'll give mom a little bit more time. I'll, although you might have done your homework, so I did my we'll, homework. we'll we'll go dad because he's been asked this before. I don't know if it's changed, but and then we'll go to mom. Well, it has changed because it is the, oh, yeah. the AFC Championship game. Uh, that was uh, that was just so special to be there and to realize and not have it taken away at, at because of a, a an offside penalty, but to realize that moment. When you're in the stadium, you know, with your family, and you realize we're going to win this thing, we're going to the Super Bowl. And I really think being in attendance at the AFC Championship game in your home venue is really special because you're there among fans. It's not a corporate event like the Super Bowl. Now, I would go <laughs> if somebody gave me the tickets and a couple thousand dollars for, you know, expenses, but. Uh, that was that was really something, and I'm glad we got to share it. See, I, I, I was lucky enough to go to World Series Game 5, uh, oh, or was it 6? No, it was World Series Game 6 with Giordano Ventura uh, the year they lost to the Giants, but just that pitching performance, and then Game 1 the next year. Then I, I was lucky enough to see the Royals clinch the ALCS, then, of course, the AFC Championship game. And then 98 Nebraska and all the 2012. Like, I've, I've been so lucky to go to so many games. But I agree with you. I think, for me, it is that AFC Championship. Because as much as I love those Royals runs, um, just living and dying every pitch playoff baseball, I miss it. I hope to see it within the next, you know, 30 years. I don't have to wait that long to see the Royals go to the playoffs again. But something's just different about, you know, the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl and, Oh, that, that that was that was a lot of fun, Mom. You did not get to go to that because you don't like the cold. Well, I so, I can't go but, to but in I cold think, weather but anymore. I, I don't think I'm going to like this answer. But you have a pretty nice trump card when you talk about uh, live sporting events. Yes, the 1988 NCAA basketball championship <laughs> played in uh, the Kemper Arena right down the street in Kansas City. I was lucky enough to go with my family, my mom, my dad, both my sisters, Julie, Susan, and I were all there together. We beat Oklahoma um, that day for the national championship, and that was the 50th um, anniversary. And at halftime, the score was 50 50 to 50. 50. I'll never forget that game. That was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And didn't you, and this this isn't the same game, but you, I think, went down to a Final Four game in Dallas and lost your shoe? No, I lost my shoe in this oh, game. Oh, it was that it game. Was this okay, game. I yeah, couldn't it remember. It. I knew you lost your shoe cheering so hard. Yeah, I was games. jumping up and down, and my shoe fell off and went down. But there was a kind man who threw it back up to me, so I didn't have to go shoeless. So, alternatively, the one that we get asked a lot, and I've uh, this is another one I've gone back and forth on my own personal answer, but what is the worst game you've seen in person? We'll start with mom for this one. Well, uh, you just mentioned it, 1986, Final Four down in Dallas. Um, we lost to Duke, which we shouldn't have been playing in the semifinal. It was Duke and KU and LSU and Louisville. And Duke and KU were number one and two respectively that year. And they should have reseeded it so that they played in the championship. Um, more KU talk, just wanting to change the rules so you no. guys can win. <laughs> no. Man, I tell you what, I, I know I know you guys like to think you invented the game when we, it really. Yeah, we did. Oh, we did. Gosh. <laughs> 
Just just go to the Booth Family Stadium. You'll see the rules and all the oh, things. Yeah, it's yeah. all there for okay. you to see. Okay. <laughs> so you want to reseed the tournament when it when it helps out KU. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, whatever. Okay. I'll, I'll stop giving you a crap. Okay. Thank you, <laughs> Dad. What is what is the worst game you've seen in person? Well, I'm going to have to say the 1997 season at home divisional playoff loss to Denver. Oh yeah. Whew. Which was in January of '98. Um, that was a 13 and three season for the Chiefs, and we actually—this th- was the kiss of death. We had made arrangements to go to the Super Bowl that year. It was in San Diego. We had Super Bowl tickets. We had uh, uh, flight, uh, hotel. flight, hotel, car. We were ready to go, and uh, we lost. We lost, uh, and that was. That was so very disappointing. And uh, now there have been others. Uh, we were talking just yesterday about uh, our trip to Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, that uh, we went to see uh, K State West Virginia play uh, in 2016. And uh, that loss was really hard to take. And the the walk of shame through <laughs> walking out of there at the very at the very end was was really 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 tough. But uh, but yeah, I I think for sure uh, the Chiefs divisional uh, playoff loss to Denver that was probably the worst. Yeah, I've I think I've any time this has been asked and asked Bosco question, I think I've changed it. But I think I think after Grant and I talked. Can't remember when we talked about this, but that Elite Eight loss to Loyola probably is number one because, um, and I don't know if I've ever gone into full detail of what happened towards the end of that game on this show. I'm not going to, but you know, uh, personal exit was uh, not fun. Going down there and thinking, oh my gosh, we're playing Loyola, this 11 seed, we're going to go to the Final Four. Um, but the arena, so many people in these stupid Gryffindor scarves. Um, Sister Jean, stupid ass Sister Jean. I'm not even sure she's actually a nun. I think she's lying. I think someone needs to audit her. Um, probably tax evasion as well. Um, so that was that was just really rough, especially thinking back to it. Because I was right behind the Loyola bench when I got the ticket on StubHub. I, I knew I was going to be behind one of the benches. I had no idea where I was, but just surrounded by... Uh, Loyola fans, it was it was bad. So I, I, I think it will be tough to beat that one out. I tell you what, losing that AFC Championship game in attendance might be up there if we didn't turn around and win it the next year. A lot of the pain from that game went away after you won the Super Bowl. So uh, hopefully this next uh, sports season, anytime it, once fans are allowed to go back into games, there's going to be a lot more highlights than low life so we're gonna end on uh three you know kind of fun ones as well so what is your favorite stadium snack mom stadium or arena snack what's your go-to hot dogs mom likes a good hot dog you put a lot of ketchup on them i do woof (laughs) woof dad you're this is probably the easiest question i ever asked you what's your favorite stadium snack well, it's got to be popcorn. You, you can put down a souvenir popcorn <laughs> in a full football game by yourself if you really got pressed to it. And I would pay for it for about two and a half days uh, <laughs> afterwards. But uh, it's the perfect stadium snack. And it's not that messy, though 
you know, if it's a really good popcorn, you're going to have to have some napkins. Or if you're with me, I'll just kind of pat you on the back. You know, <laughs> my greasy hair. Yeah, I, I won't notice it. <laughs> Uh, so here's one, and this is one I, I came up with uh, after I, I went down a rabbit hole a couple days ago and was listening to all sorts of different national anthems. Um, and I came across tons of different instrumental and sung versions of the Star Spangled Banner. So my question to you guys, do you prefer a in-stadium experience? Do you prefer a singer or an instrumental Mom. Singer said they can always end with Land of the Chiefs. Or home of the Chiefs. <laughs> okay. I don't think the singers actually do that. Well, the stadium does. Yeah, but they could do that with instrumental as well. Oh, no, I prefer a singer. <laughs> okay. I think a good, uh, a good singing rendition of the national anthem is, is really, can be very moving and very special. Whitney Houston, the best national anthem ever sung. All right, I'm I'm different from you guys. I I prefer you know the my my the biggest fans of me personally the K State marching band. They love me, uh, but I think they do a great national anthem. And then uh, he's done it at Chiefs games, but he does them at Royals games a lot. And I can't remember this gentleman's name, but an elite, just elite trumpeted version mm-hmm. of the national. I gosh, that's gonna bug me. Probably when we're done recording, I'm gonna look up his name. But just the best national anthem I've ever heard was this fellow on his. Uh, trumpet and then he, the same guy also will do it on a saxophone as well so i man i would i should have looked up his name before this and i even wrote the questions this uh i'm doing my best grant impression by not being prepared so uh and, and everyone freaking out grant and i had this same joke when we were hanging out with the kso guys grant flanders and Derek young earlier so i can make that joke he made it himself we love grant i we wouldn't be able to do this show without him <laughs> All right, and then the the final question I'm going to ask, and and again, there's been a lot of Chiefs answers in this. You guys, like I said, met at a Chiefs game, if I recall correctly, first kiss at a Chiefs game. Allen was born on the same day as a Chiefs game. Dad left shortly after I was born to go to a Chiefs playoff game. Lots of Chiefs in this family. You could make the argument there's a chance without the Chiefs, there might not be me. There was enough mutual friends. You guys eventually would have found each other, all that type of stuff. But it's kind of funny to joke about. So we're going to end it with a Chiefs question. The single greatest quarterback ever to play the game, Patrick Mahomes, will win how many Super Bowls when it's all said and done for the Chiefs? He has one already. Mom, what will his final number be? Um, six. 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 Wow. Wow. Yes. Right. wow. He's young. He's young. His salary cap's about to like quadruple. They're not, no, they're never going to get rid of him. I'm not saying they're going to get rid of him, but you're not going to have Kelsey. You're not going to have Clark. You're not going to have a lot of folks. Well, but I think, look at New England. You know, a lot of those people wanted to stay around Brady because they knew they were going to win. Brady has never won a Super Bowl being a top five paid quarterback. Patrick Mahomes is about to be the highest paid quarterback of all time. Well, I still think he's going to do it. Go, Pat. I love it. I, I like six. I hope you're right. Uh, Alan and I had a road trip last Friday, and we just talked about this. And it was like, okay, what's what's the what would be the floor expectation to be satisfied with Super Bowl appearances and wins with Patrick Mahomes as the Chiefs quarterback? And I came down on five appearances and three wins. 
Yeah, I would, would three get us to where we equal uh, Oakland's uh, Super Bowl championships with two more? Yeah, so yeah. we would get I, to I, four. I believe would be the best. And okay, so yeah. Oakland has three. I don't care what. I, I, again, I I should have done more research for my own question, but as long as when Patrick Mahomes' era is done, we have more Super Bowl championships than the Raiders, I will be happy. I don't like. I don't like them having more Super Bowls than us. So I, I think whatever that number is, that's what I'll be satisfied with. I think three is probably the correct number. Um, but we'll see. I, I'm sure like a season and see if they can repeat because, uh, you know, like I said, this has been my this has been my worry. And you actually yelled at me the night before the Super Bowl because I brought it up that if if you don't win on the rookie contract, it may never come. You know, we were, we went to get dinner, I think, at a Tailgater Sports Bar, and we were coming back, and I made the comment about, well, if we don't win it this year, he's just going to be Dan Marino, and you did not like me saying that. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> well, I think that's fair. So that's going to be it for uh, Dad Pod 3 with the cameo from uh, Cindy. She's now officially a recurring guest. Again, go to... Our sponsor, the title sponsor for all of the Armchair Network, betonline.ag. You can gamble on anything once sports are back. Hey, there's already soccer back over in Europe. MLS is coming back. Go wager over there. They're the title sponsors. We're going to have some great stuff. Assuming football, as we know, it comes back this fall. Some live shows, some cool co-branded merchandise. So make sure you go check it out. Now we are going to send it over to Malcolm and Grant. get into it uh remember guys to head to betonline.ag for online wagering they have simulated nfl nba and ufc happening live every day for our devout gamblers to check out betonline.ag also offers hundreds of live casino games poker tournaments and best the best props in the business so visit betonline.ag on your computer or your mobile device and join now to receive your welcome bonus it's betonline.ag. It's your online wagering experts. All right. It's part two of the Dad Pod, part or episode three of Dad Pod. And I'm sitting here with Mr. Malcolm Copeland. Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you very much. It's good to be back. Also, I would like to extend a happy birthday to you. You just turned 67 a week ago. And. You get a little bang bang 
birthday, Father's Day, back-to-back weekends. That's right. It's a good flag day last weekend and Father's Day this weekend. Uh, you can't ask for anything more. Well, let's just jump into it because um, i got to be out of here so I don't give my grandpa COVID unless I have it somehow. So I say we should just start off addressing the elephant in the room, um, which is COVID-19. Um, it's been like, what, about three months since, you know, the coronavirus has really began impacting the normalcy of the United States. Um, I think NBA shut down in March 12th, and then everything kind of started uh, going downhill from there. How has this affected you personally in your overall daily life? Well, that's a good question because my lovely wife Shelly and I were in Hawaii when all of a sudden the real COVID uh, epidemic struck and we went out there on on March 3 and came back on March 12 and uh, <clears throat> actually I almost got in a fight in the airport with a guy. I was commenting how... Uh, this was what I called uh, amazing that they were shutting down the NBA, college, uh, Final Four, and the uh, March Madness was being canceled, and I made some comment, and he he said to me that I was more concerned with the money and revenue of sports than I was with people's lives, and I told him, now that is not what I said, and so we proceeded to get into it, and I called him some extra expletives and I, my wife promptly got back away from the bar she thought things were gonna rumble but <laughs> thank goodness it calmed down i didn't know that story <laughs> yeah that's uh i'll tell you afterwards what i called him and uh well actually i called him a dickhead i said quit <laughs> don't be such a dickhead but anyway um i i have to to say that you know, I had a little uh, kind of revelation a couple, three, four weeks ago, and I, I think we all have that seven deadly sin of pride. We don't like to admit when things are bad sometimes, but it, I just came to the conclusion that, you know, the COVID has really taken a toll on me. I mean, as far as, you know, extra stress, I am 67, I'm in the target area, and I, I kind of felt a, a little weight lifted off my shoulder once I really said, you know, this this is taking its toll on me a little bit. I'm a lot more stressed and I would I would digress a little bit about the Hawaii trip. We Shelly and I've gone to Hawaii. It was our tenth trip there and you know, I kinda labeled this the Hawaii trip from hell. And I I, I don't mean it was well, it was just the extra stress of seeing these people from New York and Australia and Wisconsin and Seattle and, you know, not being able to give them a high five and doing kind of a fist bump or an elbow bump, it it has. So I, I'd have to say it has had a, a little effect on the daily life. And with regard to my business, being a lawyer, I have just recently started having clients come back in. The courts have been closed, uh, the Shawnee County Court where I practice mostly is we mainly did Zoom hearings and uh, internet hearings, but we're starting to return here, I think this week, a little bit each week. But, yeah, it's affected me. It's sucked, no doubt. I think early on for the first, 
I mean, before it started taking off, I was really stressed about it because I was following it, you know, in China, and I felt like nobody was really paying attention to it. <laughs> and then it started to kick off, and the reality started to set in, and and then people started to kind of catch up, and that kind of made me feel better about it. But, um, yeah, it's definitely sucked for a while. <laughs> now I'm starting to feel the stress again because it's just like it's weighing. It's really weighing down. It's like this is fucking lasting forever. It's only been three months, really, and it's just sucked all the fun out of everything, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, the only thing I can say is, you know, all things must pass. we we got to get a little philosophical. we got to persist and persevere and, and, and know that we're going to get through it and know that it's one of those things that we'll look back and say, boy, remember the, gosh, the COVID 19 the coronavirus of 2020 you know we lived through it and survived and to live to talk about it but it is uh so far yeah i, I think <laughs> i would kind of agree because i think the country's gotten a little complacent i hear that beijing is now having a second wave and some of these you know texas arizona some of these states that have opened up earlier seeing an increase not only in testing and positive cases but actually people having to go to the hospital again so yeah we live in hell so um <laughs> obviously it's affected sports it's going to affect continue to affect sports and kind of the livelihood of this podcast but everything's subject to change you know we're obviously at the mercy of the coronavirus and its severity but currently there are some signs that point to a return of college football um you know, with the possibility of empty stadiums, half-capacity stadiums, even, you know, some places saying that they're going to be full, they're going to have a full house. If there was a return of college football with empty stadiums or half-capacity stadiums, how does that affect your, you know, viewpoint of the game as a fan? Does that change the product to you and the appeal to you, or would you still be able to watch it and appreciate it normally? I think I would be able to watch it and appreciate it normally on TV. The The fan experience when I'm home watching on TV is not near as important or real to me as the fan experience when I'm at the game. Um, our former athletic director is John, I, or I can't remember, no, I can't remember who. Uh, Curry? Curry, yeah, John Curry. You know, one of his goals was to make K-State uh, one of the best fan experiences in the country, and and I really think we do. I would applaud him on some of the things we did because, you know, when I go to those games, it is, I think, a great fan experience. And so uh, I would say if I were one that would buy tickets and there would only be – you know, a limited number of people every six feet or every other chair or every third chair. I think that's definitely going to affect the, uh, you know, my experience and, and the way I look at it. I, I have to go back with you in the year 2000 when you were nine years old and we're watching the Oklahoma game and we're down. We play a terrible half. We're number two in the country. They're number eight. And we played like dog doo-doo that first half, but we really start rallying and coming back. And one of our classic, or one of our players, 
blocked a punt. It popped up, and another player got it and ran it into the end zone, and that's the loudest I've ever heard. And you held your hands over your ears and said, Dad, it hurts my ears. And, and so that part of the fan experience will not be there, you know, if there's only half, 25,000 or 20. It will be there on a limited uh, amount or basis, but it won't be there like it was when there's 50,000, 55,000. And especially if there's nobody there, then uh, it, it won't be there at all. But I think that would affect maybe the players more than us. Yeah, fans. I don't know. I go both ways because obviously it's something you would easily and pretty quickly adjust to watching games on TV without fans. But I do think maybe this is stupid, but when you watch a game and you can see that the atmosphere is great on TV, it engages you more even when you're watching it on TV because sometimes you'll watch a shitty game and there's no one there or even in, even K-State games where – it's like an 11 a.m. game that I'm watching on TV, and the atmosphere sucks, and it's like this game is boring as hell. <laughs> I can tell nobody wants to be there, but that's something I would adjust to. I'm already adjusting to it watching the Premier League. There's no fans, so they've actually added. You can have a, an, the experience where they just add in fake fan noise for for comfort. I don't know. It's a little ridiculous, but it's certainly well, something I would adjust to. Well, I would you know, prefer... I mean, if it means we're going to be getting sports, I don't give a shit if there's no fans. I would obviously much rather watch it on TV with no fans than not at all. You know, uh, sitting here, I hadn't thought about this, but it's come to my mind that perhaps the home field advantage will be virtually lost if there are no fans. Um Maybe not completely lost, but really diminished. I remember when Bill Snyder first took over and how he would come out at news conferences or commercials, uh, advertisements for K-State, and he would tell the fans, he'd say, buy tickets, come to the game. It really makes a difference to my players when they walk out of the tunnel and the crowd is 50,000 strong and they're cheering and it really helps them get motivated. It helps them come alive when we're down or when a bad play has happened. And so, you know, just sitting here thinking, or sitting here with you thinking, it may really affect, you know, the players. The home field advantage may not be so great if all the stadiums have nobody in them. There will be no home field advantage. I mean, yeah, would we have beat Oklahoma last year in an empty stadium? Maybe not. We wouldn't have had that extra edge, um, you know, that extra energy provided by the crowd. Who knows? I the, mean, tw- the 12th man at A&M, you yeah. know, the, yeah, I would agree. So I think, you know, basically the opposite of that question. Recently there have been programs coming out with positive cases. K-State actually just announced they had 14 and they're going to pause workouts. So if we don't get a football season this fall – you know, how much is that going to affect you? How disappointing will you be? Or, or disappointed will you be? Or will you just, have you adjusted? <laughs> that's, that's a good question because I don't know. I've never had a season without football. I know, you know that I was a yell leader at K-State. And that kind of just made me bleed purple uh, beginning back in 1973, 74, 74, 75. And, and, you know, all the, or from those dates on to today. Um, 
it is really interesting because I, I can look at it two ways. Um, I'm one of those, oh, I don't know what what we call these kind of fans, but, you know, I, I say we. When I say K-State, we beat Oklahoma, and I, I act like that team is me and that team is my team. And so I know that when we get great wins like uh, the Oklahoma Big 8, I'm sorry, Big 12 championship win over Oklahoma in 2003, I was basically on cloud nine for about a week after that game. I witnessed it. We watched it over about four or five times uh, on the VCR, and it was just, it was awesome. It was just like a part of me had been lifted up. But then I will go and tell you, on the other hand, in uh, uh, one of the seasons when I did not have season tickets, um, I stayed home and watched the or listened to the game on the radio, and that fall I got a ton of stuff accomplished, fences built, uh, decks built. I mean, those Saturdays uh, are at the stadium; they're all day affairs. And when I can stay home and get some work done, that that's also very beneficial. So I, I don't really know how it's going to affect me unless. I really get it, uh, or unless we don't have football. Uh, we'll see. So let's do a quick touch on last year. Chris Kleiman's first year, what impressed you most about, you know, Coach's first year and in, in the program direction? I think that what impressed me most, he just picked up basically where Snyder uh, left off and maybe won some games that some of us thought, we might not have won under Snyder. Now, that I don't really want to say that because you don't know. That That's awful hard to tell. But the the way he just came in and and, and picked up and, and, and took over, uh, I really liked that. The other thing I really liked was the positive. He seemed so positive, you know, and I've, I've listened to Bill Snyder since 1981. He'd come out at the beginning of the year and say, well, we're just not a very good football team, or we're this, and he'd, we've got, you know, and uh, and that was his way. He, he, that's how he motivated the players, and, and that's, he called it like he saw it, um, Kleiman, on the other hand, I think was a little more positive. And the the other thing I really appreciated was what I would call his patience. You know, I'm a perfectionist, and so when I see it, the team make a mistake, I go, "Oh my gosh!" You know, how could you? How did that happen? And and Kleiman was so matter of factly when he would talk in the post game interviews, and he'd say, "Well, you know, this is football. You know, the other teams out there, they got eleven players." They make an interception. Um, those things happen. You, you're not going to, you know, have every play go your way. And it was just kind of more reality that uh, and patient that that's going to happen. The other team, bad things are going to happen, and we just have to overcome them and go from there. So I, I, I liked – I saw a lot of things I liked in his opening year. Yeah, there's a lot to there's a lot to like about him, you know, just football wise. But I think my favorite, or what I like about him the most, is that he's given the players more autonomy um, and allowed more personality. He's basically immediately said, you know, this is their program. It's not about me. 
um, which is the polar opposite of Bill. He's allowing guys to, you know, come in and kind of be themselves, which is going to help with recruiting. And I think it just kind of creates an overall happier locker room. Yeah. Um, so going into the next year, if let's just say we do have a season, which players do you expect to make the biggest jump from year one to two? You know, that's a, a good question. You kind of gave me a little preview of your questions, and I was thinking about that. And and I will admit that back in the early days, probably when I was your age or even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I mean, I knew almost every player. I, My mun buddy used to call me Mr. College Football because I'd read the press guide. I knew where this kid was from and what high school he went to and how many tackles he had and but I haven't followed it that um, much I as far as being able to tell you specific players I I would think the quarterback um, you know another year in the program another year under coach Kleiman but then all of a sudden it, it made me realize well wait a minute I think all of them I think I'd have to say all of the players are going to make a big jump from that first year to the second year. And uh, that that would have to be my answer, that probably every one of them is really going to go from a new coach that they didn't really, you know, or hadn't had the experience of being coached by to now knowing much more about him, knowing what he, how he coaches, what he thinks important, and, and the playbook and the program or the – Offense and defense. So I would have to say I think all of the players are going to make a major jump if we have. I haven't thought much about it, to be honest. Um, but top of my head, I would probably say I'm most excited. I mean, I I'm most excited to see Malik Knowles going into next year because, I mean, if you recall, he was our – he'll be a redshirt sophomore, our best wide receiver – and he just couldn't get over the injury bug last year. But every time he was in, he was a major threat. He changed pretty much everything about the offense. Gave us a lot more um, ability to stretch the field. So I'm excited to see. I think he has potential to be an all-Big 12 caliber wide receiver if he stays healthy. So I'll be excited to see what he can do. So overall, you know, during the climbing era, let's say he sticks around five, six, seven, eight years. I don't know. What are your expectations for the program under climbing? What do you want to see us accomplish? I don't know. What do you What do you think? Well, I would, I would say I would like to see us see us see us consistently move into the top half of the the Big Twelve. Um, I remember talking to one of uh, the big K State fans that I share office space with and i'll i'll give him a little plug uh ron jurgensmeyer jurgensmeyer uh financial but ron and i would always talk and what did we want out of the football program well we wanted a bowl every year we felt that was kind of uh you know something that could be accomplished since there were so many bowls and you could go six and six and so we wanted a bowl every year, and then we also wanted, though, that every, maybe that every fourth year, that uh, fifth year, having somebody like Colin Klein or rising up and actually challenging for the conference. And so I, 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 would, I would want, my expectations would be to finish in the top half 
consistently and every every three, four, five years challenge the big boys. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Just kind of remain consistently in the top half of the Big 12 and then every three or four years put together a team that can make a run, challenge for, you know, the Arlington challenge for the Big 12 title and maybe even challenged for to knock on the door of the playoff, which I don't know if we'll ever be able to do that because just the disparity between the top the top teams is pretty large, but we'll I see. Agree. We'll do a quick pivot to basketball. Um, <laughs> quick, I I mean quick. We had a terrible year last year under Bruce, um, and he seems to have come under fire again, and, you know, maybe rightfully so, but, you know, we had maybe, we have maybe our second best recruiting class that I can remember, maybe third, coming in next year. Do you think he has one more run in him with his new crop of players? Well, I don't know. Um, that's a good question, and, you know, I thought we did have a terrible year. I had way higher expectations, and I always, I always am tickled by the pundits that you know start out with hope and 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 promise and then when things go bad they say well you don't you just don't have the players you don't have you know the kind of leaders that can can put a winning program together at K-State and and let me just explain you know we we had three seniors, um, Mayween, Mayween, May Sneed, and Sne then Sneed um, and shit. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm now. I'm. Or did we have two seniors? No, we three? had no. enough seniors. Um, we'll just move on. I'll think of it. Okay, we had three seniors, and then we had uh, Jada, um, McGurl, and we had another junior with him or maybe it was just those two juniors, that had gone all to the Elite Eight and had gone, uh, had won the Big 12 championship, had gone to the Elite Eight, and we return those five guys uh, with, with a, all that experience, and then we have these, what I call stud freshmen coming in, and I really expected us to meld them together and basically pick up right where we left off. Now, no, I didn't think we would compete with uh, with KU, but the middle of the pack, we should have been, in my opinion, third or fourth, uh, you know, competing with that middle of the pack group that from third through sixth, I think it was, everybody was just all bundled together so i was very disappointed and i guess to ask does he have another running you know i said i don't know i i, I thought some of i still question some of the the coaching philosophy but you know he's i'm not there i'm not the coach and you know it's a i know it's a heck of a lot easier from the sidelines than it is from when you're out there making the decisions i've known that from when i've coached but I don't know if what we have. I don't either. I mean, he's made it. I think we've made it pretty tough on ourselves. With We're going to have a, a lot of roster turnover. We're going to have seven guys coming in this class, which is going to make things difficult. But I think it's at least we have 
the ability to see in the past that we've done it before and we've had a huge roster turnover before. We brought in guys and we were able to win our second Big 12 championship in seven years. So he can do it. He's done it before, so he can do it again. So I'll, that begs the question, do you personally want to give Bruce more time or are you are you ready to see a change? Well, that's a good that's a good question because you know people say who are you going to get you know and I, and I will applaud Bruce he's clean as a whistle he's squeaky clean I think um, he has a lot of good qualities uh, but I don't agree with people that say who are you going to get there's nobody out there and you know I just look at climbing I mean there are diamonds in the rough out there like. Snyder, like actually Frank Martin, uh, they're, they're out there, and you, you just have to work a little harder to find them. Um, do I want to get rid of him now? I, I guess probably if I were to vote, and, and uh, if you would have taken this vote on uh, March 12th, I would have said, yes, it's time to get rid of him. Now I guess I've mellowed out, and I have greater concerns than than that. But I, I probably would say yes. I think it's time to make a change. I would say he's earned the right to be given another chance here to rebuild it. But, um, you know, if we don't make the tournament next year, I don't know. Maybe he won't be around much longer. So Well, he got lucky that nobody made the tournament, so yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. It's, but, uh, you know, I was in Hawaii, and I didn't know that we beat Texas Tech in the first round. And, you know. Tech. TCU, I think. Or, or was it TCU? I think it was okay. TCU. Right. I don't know. Who cares, honestly? Well, my only point was, you know, yes, uh, to me that team at times could rise up, and, and that showed me they had more potential and I think they actually, that he got out of them this year. But go ahead. I would agree. But we'll end it. Um, we'll just take it to a, a more existential question to end the podcast today. Last question, 2020. It's been mostly terrible uh, from start to now. Um, just kind of been a, it's been a rough ride with COVID hanging over everything and just other residual things happening around us what's one positive thing that you want to accomplish before the year ends it doesn't have to have anything specific it can be just what's one thing that you want to see that's you've accomplished that's positive to end the year well i'm gonna answer this question i'll answer the question but i'm gonna i'm gonna give a shout out to all our servicemen and women in the military and that put their lives on the line for us and here's why the one thing that the COVID has done in my life is that constant worry every day of possibly getting sick going to the hospital and dying um not wanting and it occurred to me that many times our military under fire in Afghanistan or you know every day they get up and face the possibility of you know, getting shot or getting killed uh, by a roadside bomb or something like that, and I think that's a positive thing. I've uh, have that I think we all can now know a little bit more about the pressure they're under. But let's go with with with, with regard to sports. Obvious, the thing that I'd like to be accomplished is that um, 
sports return and we get because uh, this is america and we love our sports and i think to do that would be the second thing i hope gets accomplished uh, that we all want to accomplish and that's get a vaccine so that we can overcome this damn covid19 and uh i guess that's i guess that's basically it that you know we get that stuff going fair enough i won't comment i'll plead the fifth on your uh soldier shout out but um i yeah i don't know i don't i i've got some plans that i won't be putting out on the podcast for the for the airwaves but we thank everyone for listening uh we thank all the dads out there on father's day i hope you have a good one and make sure you head to betonline.ag for your online wagering malcolm do you want to send any final words i would just say uh k-state fans keep the faith uh, be patient, have hope, and, uh, you know, we're going to get through this. Every man a wildcat, every woman a wildcat, every person a wildcat, and let's get behind them. I would like to say just get over wearing a mask. Just wear a fucking mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, you're you're an idiot, and you're being a baby. So... Well, hold on. Yeah, and I'll comment quickly on that. And that is, it's the selfishness of not wearing a mask. You may think this is America and I don't have to, but it's like not driving 100 miles an hour down the residential street. You probably could do that, and most of the time nothing would happen. But we don't do that because kids run out in front of the car and we take care of our fellow man and that's why um wearing a mask is not necessarily for you but it's so that you would not spread it to somebody else that might be more vulnerable well said sir it's true it's not about you it's about everybody else and i think the more the quicker we agree to have everybody wearing masks the quicker things will return to normalcy and we'll be able to have sports probably but um, we won't go any further into that, and we'll just say thank you, everybody, for listening. Happy Father's Day. Uh, meet me at the Cat Hit. Sports Social Podcast Network.